Hello, Charlie. Hey, Dwayne. Hello, Tom. Hi, Dwayne. Y'all ready to talk about telemedicine? Yeah. Hot diggity. Welcome to Top Priority, a production of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation's Grassroots Leadership Academy. I'm Dwayne Lester. Today's top priority is healthcare, specifically telemedicine and the COVID-19 pandemic. It was recorded on March 25th, 2020. Helping us understand this issue today is... Hi, my name is Charles Katibi. I'm a healthcare policy analyst for Americans for Prosperity. And what I do is I basically offer uh, about five to six years of my healthcare expertise in healthcare policy to all the 35 state chapters as they navigate their legislative sessions and now <laughs> this debilitating global pandemic that we're now dealing with as well. Hi, I'm Tom Romeo. Uh, I am a program officer at Stand Together and a fellow at the Charles Koch Institute. Um, my background is uh, public health. I, I worked I, at the Goldwater Institute as a healthcare policy analyst, working on FDA reforms and opioid intervention um, policy. Uh, I, I think that the public health aspect of all of this is fairly, um, fairly important. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to kind of talk about telemedicine and how it how it impacts. Uh, the health of people. Well, that's really what what this is all about, and what we've we we had our initial discussion, Charlie and I, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm losing on who else. Elliot Fox. Elliot. Yeah, Elliot Fox was in on that. And we touched on telemedicine a little bit, and I've talked with the tech and innovation folks. We've talked about it a little bit, but what we're seeing today, as far as the impact telemedicine can have in dealing with healthcare issues, specifically around the the COVID nineteen. Uh, virus and and this pandemic, we're seeing some very serious changes made in the way healthcare is done, specifically around telemedicine. I was wondering if you'd talk about some of the things that you've seen done already and how they correlate to what we've been advocating for a while now. Sure. Yeah. So the things that we've been advocating for telemedicine is really just for state and federal law simply to simply to get out of the way and allow these healthcare providers to remotely serve patients um, at, in a number of different ways, especially now that new technology is allowing those number of ways to really increase exponentially. And the really great thing is that at the very start of this crisis, within the, next, within the first few days that all these all cities and states were shutting down, the federal government really took the lead on telemedicine and really start removing a lot of the barriers that they had that they were had been imposing for decades <clears throat> so some of the biggest barriers were within medicare and medicaid so within medicare basically if you lived in a metropolitan area or outside of an area that wasn't designated as a shortage area where there weren't considered to be shortages of healthcare providers you just did not have access to telemedicine and even in those areas, say a rural area that is facing healthcare shortages, you couldn't receive telemedicine from your home. You couldn't go onto a port onto a internet portal and consult your doctor in your own home. 
all of those laws are frankly ridiculous. They aren't based on actually helping patients stay healthy. Um, they're all based on an idea that these this new mode of delivering healthcare will only drive up costs. When the reality is, when people have this greater convenience, cost goes down. And what we're really thankful for is that the Trump administration has taken a really fast, rapid approach to this and use their new emergency powers to remove those barriers through executive orders. And now patients, thankfully, will have a lot better access to receiving care at home. And the really important reason why is because with this particular pandemic, social distancing is essential, um, not just for the health of patients, but for the health of providers as well. A lot of providers are now being exposed to this virus. And the really important thing that these reforms will do is make sure that doctors and nurses can see sick patients without getting exposed and carrying out the virus. So this is a really important step in the right direction. Yeah, and, and sort of to add to that, Charlie, I mean, that, that, that is a fantastic point. Um, social distancing and communicable diseases are really impacted by the digitization and the um, increasingly virtual care mediums that we're seeing. So, uh, and, and ultimately, I mean, I think some of this technology was originally developed by NASA for the, for the astronauts. And so I think there's no reason to limit this uh, for people, especially high-risk populations. Um, and just to echo what Charlie said, that the, the Trump administration and a lot of um, policymakers right now have done a really great job at um, laxing some of those regulations that are preventing people from having uh, access to this. Um, but I think home health is really important here. And um, the ability to send people testing and the ability to deliver care for pe people um, in their homes is really important because the 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 ability to trans uh, for transportation, the ability for these people to go to hospitals and clog up the hospital systems. Um, if all of that can be avoided by telemedicine, why wouldn't we just fully lean into it and do what we're seeing the policymakers are opening it up? One thing that I have to be mindful of, I, I recently read a book and they talked about this thing called the problem with knowledge. And the problem with knowledge is once you know something, you just kind of assume everyone else knows something. And so you, you the danger there is that you you run the risk of glossing over something that not everybody understands. And while I was listening here, I thought to myself, do I really even understand what we mean by telemedicine? Do I even know what we're talking about? And if I'm unsure about that, there's probably a lot of people out there that are unsure about that. So I was wondering if we could you know, just take a step back. When we say telemedicine, what is it that we're actually talking about? Yeah, sure. So when we refer to telemedicine, we, we refer to really three kinds of technology. One is the one that most people are familiar with by now, which is you going on to a FaceTime or Skype-like interaction with your doctor, either over your computer or over your smartphone, and you and, you and your doctor uh, exchange either photos or video of some of your conditions. You talk through some of uh, the conditions that you're feeling, and that's one form. Another form is where they will attach uh, devices to you and which will track your vital signs, and which allows the doctor to basically track and routinely remotely monitor your conditions even after your FaceTime conversation. And the third is known as store and forward, where let's say you have a Skype conversation with the doctor with your general practitioner, but they maybe they don't have the special knowledge, the specialty knowledge 
that you may require. And so the next level of telemedicine is allowing your doctor uh, the power to forward photos, videos, um, any sort of information um, that is downloadable about your healthcare experience and basically sending that to other specialists and other doctors, which could advise them. So those are the three big buckets, real-time remote patient monitoring and the last one, stored. Yeah, and, and and what's really great, especially about um, remote patient monitoring at this stage, um, is for people like my wife currently is pregnant, having to go into hospital and have routine checkups, if, if that can happen for her being at home without um, exposing her to potential COVID or other communicable diseases that exist in hospitals, I think that's a really important um, piece of, of when we're talking about telemedicine, that continual uh, monitoring of a patient is really, is a, is a great thing also when it comes to outcomes. Um, instead of just three data points or, you know, however many data points that that individual has to go to the doctor, we're having continuous data points points being inputted for the doctor to be able to make better decisions for their patients. Um, so yeah, just to add, I mean, that's a really important part right now in the pandemic. You know, I think I've heard uh, my friend Jason Edson, I believe you you all know Jason, he's talked about devices they have now that will actually like pair with your phone, Bluetooth or whatever. And you could put, I remember a few years ago, um, this is more than a few years ago because I'm getting older. Uh, this was actually back in like 98 98 i i was having what i thought was heart problems and i had to wear this thing that the they put different devices all over my chest to different sensors and then whenever i felt this this uh irregular beat i had to push a button and then it recorded that and then i had to take that device into the doctor and they looked at all the readings and and i didn't die thankfully but I'm sure that that there are devices now or innovations that are coming out that would actually allow that that information to be sent digitally. Are are you saying that there are laws out there that are actually prohibiting the use of that? Is, is are these the type of of laws that have been put in place that we're now seeing removed? Yes, actually. Yeah, so particularly within Medicare, if you have if you and your doctor have interacted, have done an interaction and your doctor thinks I don't have this, the specialist knowledge that may be required for my patient to get the, the care that they need. A big problem prior to a lot of these reforms that the Trump administration is doing is they said, if you didn't live in Hawaii or Alaska, if you didn't live in those two states and you were in the other 48 states, that doctor was not allowed to store and forward any new any of the, inf of the consultation a video recording of the consultation to another specialist to get their take. Uh, and that's a real problem because that really disconnects our healthcare system when we need a lot more connectivity right now to really share knowledge. Yeah, and it's, it's really the policies catching up with the technology. Um, and that's what's happening right now. Hold the, on, the you're, saying, you're, is, tell, you're trying to tell me that government is lacking behind innovation? That That doesn't make sense to me. It sounds crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess what I'm curious about is what are some of the exciting things, Tom, if you don't if you don't mind starting off on this, what are some of the exciting things that you've seen happen? And I hate to that sounds sounds kind of uh, cold. Since this outbreak has started, what's exciting to you? I know that sounds cold, but but since yeah. you've seen this this 
this crisis begin? What has happened in telemedicine that is most encouraging to you, I guess? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say in general, um, what's what's really encouraging about all of this is looking at society and policymakers openness and willingness to look to innovation and look to innovators for solutions. Um, and I think that is a very important part because part of um you know on the tech team we, we, we talk about um building a societal framework that's open to innovation and the cultural component in this whole crisis has been less of a barrier and actually a catalyst in allowing some of these innovations and sort of keeping an eye on fda and cdc regulations that are preventing innovation um i, I think that alone is is a very very powerful thing that's happening right now um additionally seeing philanthropic groups and seeing business do well, um, especially in the tech industry and in some of the um, uh, like device sort of companies, we're seeing quite a bit of innovation and quite a bit of uh, selflessness. And I think that's a really amazing thing. Um, as far as, you know, telemedicine and those kinds of things, I think it's great because it's patient-centered care and patient-centered conversations. How do we get care to patients? And we're not really talking as much about the the system and the um, and and the issues that get in the way. We're talking about what do these patients need right now? And if telemedicine and innovation can fill that gap, then I think society and people culturally are looking for that. Um, so th th those are um, maybe non-specific, but I think those are really key uh, things that have happened since the pandemic that I think is really exciting. Are we when we look at at the changes that have been made at at the the sudden openness? How are we looking at at tracking the results of this? And and maybe maybe we haven't gotten that far ahead of uh, of of what we're we're doing. But are we looking at at looking at the results and how beneficial they will be? We will be. That's right. Um, so a lot of these changes have just taken place in the either this week or the past week or two weeks. Uh, but to be quite frank, we need to be tracking these results um, because when a huge healthcare event like this happens and we respond with these temporary measures, we really think that these measures aren't just good on a temporary basis. We've been arguing for these for long. We've been arguing that these changes be made permanent for years. So it's going to be very exciting to really track, you know, what is the impact of just making it a lot easier for patients in hard hit areas to access care remotely? Um, what is the impact of empowering nurses to practice without physician supervision? Um, because I think after this crisis abides, we're going to have abates, we're going to have a have to have a very serious conversation over what is the best way to treat patients over the long term. And that data is going to be really important to inform that debate. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think sort of um, also sort of to, to echo Charlie here a little bit on, on data. Um, we're seeing a major crisis with data in this whole issue, in this whole situation. I think um, not to, uh, the lack of testing and the and the government uh, issue in that whole situation has been really damaging uh, in a way that is is still impacting us, even though they're doing their best to play catch up now, that was a really big problem. And I think this is a really great example of how we can use 
data more effectively and how we can um, collect data and um, be more data centric in our policymaking as opposed to um, just potential fears of things that may be happening. And so um, just to kind of add on to Charlie's point there, I mean, data is, is key coming out of this whole um, crisis. You know, one thing I see uh, and, and I you know it's it's in my own little little bubble. We all have our own little bubbles, but I'm seeing a lot of of sentiment being towards there are a lot of unnecessary laws that are being cast aside right now. And there's there may be a a mental model shift or an internal barrier that's deteriorating around the fact that these laws are necessary. I, is that something that you've seen also, or is is it just my band of little radicals on Facebook that are that are saying this. No, there has there has been a complete shift. The first states that we saw really have this take place was in Colorado, Maryland, and in Massachusetts, where they essentially said, um, if you have a license in good standing, uh, whether it's you're a doctor or a nurse from other states, you should be able to come and provide those hot, that high skill in our state and i think this just frankly i think this is just frankly coming from a realization from a lot of uh policymakers that every state doesn't need to have a license at this point and forcing a healthcare provider to pay hundreds or thousands of dollars and wait months if they move to another state and wait months to get that license that permission slip to start treating patients that's not serving patients. And in many ways, especially during this crisis, it's harming patients because if there's an opportunity for someone with high skills to take care of a patient that has the coronavirus, making them wait months and pay thousands of dollars before you do that is not keeping that patient safe. And if there is any good that could come out of this, it's really forcing lawmakers to really think hard about our long-term laws and whether they actually are keeping patients safe or are they just uh, making it harder for families to get the care that they need? Yeah, and I think also, I mean, th 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 we're, they're talking about we're more talking about patient-centered care now. We're talking about what the patients need. And lawmakers are thinking, well, how do we get more care to more people? I don't think that necessarily was their thought process in the preceding 10 years or outside of a pandemic. And I think that overall is a really um, positive development. You know, when I think yeah, it is, if you think about it. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, if you really think about it, like when when lawmakers are really deliberating about a new law, to whether a new law they want to pass, they're usually talking to provider groups, provider interest groups. You're rarely hearing about a family that's struggling to pay medical bills or a patient that's in a hospital. I mean, these are for obvious reasons. But because of that dynamic, it's usually an entrenched provider group that's guiding this discussion and not the end consumer, which is ultimately what all of this should be about. No, it goes back to something that uh, Milton Friedman talked about when he talked about licensing and he talked about, uh, you know, the, that sort of protectionist. He says, if it were, you'll always hear them discussing the, it around the idea that this is for public safety, that this is for the good of the consumer. And if that were true, you would expect to see the consumers being the ones at the capitals, the consumers being the ones talking to legislators, but it never is. It's always the special interest. It's always the ones who are looking to carve out their own little protectionist area to keep their their area safe from competition. 
And it goes back to to what you said earlier, uh, Charlie, where you talked about the fact that this is this is actually raising costs. It's 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 not for so much the safety of the consumer, but the but the protection of the provider. And and that I find I find that bothersome, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. And another another just to kind of add on and not to beat a dead horse, but another exciting thing that's happening right now is these protectionist groups and kind of the typical players um, are not uh, not very active in the conversation right now. They're not trying to actively be protectionist and they're not nakedly doing what they normally do and try and advocate for carve outs. Um, and it's kind of an, a unique moment where uh, the the typical entrenched interests are not being as um, vocal a barrier as they normally are. What is it that 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 we haven't talked about? Again, we always close out the same way. What is it that we haven't talked about yet that we should? What have I what have I not asked that you want you want to bring up? I, I, I guess w- one quick thing um, that I think is is important to sort of think about from a broader perspective about telemedicine. Um, telemedicine is really great, and it's a part of the overall digitization of care that is going to be very positive going forward if we allow if government is allowing these innovations and allowing care to be more digitized in the future and non pandemic conditions, I think that is where a lot of the long-term value of these conversations will be. I mean, we're talking about telemedicine now, but in 10 years, what is that telemedicine going to be? Um, And allowing for those conversations now and the increasing digitization of care and the increasingly um, permissionless innovation environment in healthcare, I think overall is something that is a really big value of this moment and a really big value of conversations like this about telemedicine um, and about potential future innovations that can fill that gap for people. Yeah, that's right. I don't think, to, to Tom's point, we not only want to remove barriers to existing technology, but we don't want these changes to basically tie the hands of future innovators and future innovations, which are going to provide even more um, benefits to patients and families. So I think just making sure that this environment is good, not only for the present, but for the future as well. You know, one thing that I thought of while, well, Tommy, you were talking just from a tech and innovation meets telemedicine, we haven't really talked about the opportunity costs of, of all of these barriers. And one thing that came to my mind was we see this shortage of N95 masks. That's something that's that, that there's a lot of complaining about, a lot of consternation about. We can't find these masks. And I thought, you know, if we hadn't erected these barriers, if we hadn't put all these things in, in, in the way of innovation, we might be talking about a shortage of, of devices that you would hook up to your iPhone. And rather than worrying about the emergency rooms being flooded with with people, we'd be concerned about the fact that we don't have enough devices to get out to people so that the, while we're sheltered in place, we can monitor ourselves. We can we can then send that to the hospitals and the hospitals would have uh, systems in place that would note when things were, were, were concerning. So they could look at my stats and they could say, hold on, Dwayne's got a fever of 101. That's up, you know, from from yesterday. We need to keep an eye on him. And and these programs would be there that they, they would just be established. And we wouldn't see the flooding of the emergency rooms the way we do now because people could say to their doctor, 
I'm concerned. Here are my symptoms. The doctor would say, we're going to send this device to your house. Stay in place because you could be a carrier. And then hook. This is we'll walk through how to hook this up so we can monitor you. We don't see, we don't see those innovations because the opportunity cost of putting these barriers in place is that lack of innovation. Am I am I am I crazy here? Am I thinking Jetsons or what? No, no, like it's fantastic. It's stuff that it's something that I I think about often with this whole with this whole crisis. But I mean, I think even despite the the opportunity cost barriers and the issues with with adoption and, and there's plenty of those. Um, Innovation is can answer the call right now. I mean, we can do 3D printing of these masks. You know, we we can improve telemedicine so less people are flooding to the to the ERs and even taking public transit to get to their doctor's appointments. I mean, that's just like a nightmare scenario for a communicable disease standpoint. Um, Tech and innovation can answer the call right now. Um, It also uh, can answer future calls. And so I think that's a really important point is to think about um, how we can have a wider adoption of some of these innovations. Um, the technology is there. There's just other barriers that are in the way that are like, you know, like Charlie's um, work in finding the regulatory barriers. I mean, that's really meaningful in this. Uh, and so, so yeah, I mean, I like your Jetsons talk. It's one of my favorite, co- it's my favorite uh, subject to go into. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this installment of Top Priority, a production of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation's Grassroots Leadership Academy. If you have any questions regarding today's Top Priority, please email them to me at toppriority at afphq.org. We'd love to answer them in an episode of Frequently Asked, a short podcast where we answer the most frequently asked questions regarding our priority initiatives. And if there's an aspect of today's priority that you want us to discuss further, let us know that too. Until next time, I'm Dwayne Lester, and thanks again for listening.